Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. We're going to be reading the first through the eighth verses. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes in life, things can be just overwhelming. Things can just seem to be just bad, can't they? And, uh, Uh, This is where Isaiah found himself. King Uzziah had started out as a good king and then he took a wrong turn because he was uh, misled by wrong people. But then he repented and came back and he ended his reign as being a good king. And then he died. The nation was in turmoil. There was division in the land as to between those that wanted to follow the Lord and those who wanted to follow other uh, gods. Great strife, political strife, intrigue. And Isaiah was so concerned about his nation. Things were just going downhill the king that was taking the throne was just a bad guy. And so he was just in a, in a really bad place. You know, in our own lives, things can be in bad spots, can't they? The state of our nation can cause us to have great concern. A personal crisis such as in your marriage or in your family, your finances, in your job, can really, really just bring us low and get us so concerned. 
Sometimes things can just hit nonstop and all these things that I just mentioned can all of a sudden just hit just one after another and you can find yourself in what Martin Luther used to call the dark night of the soul. I know that can happen because I've been there and I bet you've been there too. So what do you do whenever things just get you down? When things pull you down, when it just seems like there's an onslaught of the wrong stuff happening in the world and happening to you. Well, I think we can learn a lot from Isaiah's experience today. Because you see, as I mentioned, Isaiah was overwhelmed with the state of leadership in his nation. And uh, the good king had died. He was heartsick for his people. The future looked hopeless for his country in so many ways. And he didn't know what to do except to pray. And so he did what we all should do. He sought God the best he could. And now that should be the first thing that we do, isn't it? Whenever we get in a spot like that. Sometimes these things can sneak up on us, but whenever... It hits us that we've been caught up in a whirlwind. It's the time to stop and pray. It's ingrained in us to do so. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, whenever you get in a mess, do you ever find yourself just saying, Oh, God, what am I going to do? You know, do you ever, you know, sometimes you can wind up in a spot like that. I saw a, a picture this past week. This person was pulling something out of a Popeye's chicken uh, box and it was crispy and uh, it was shaped just like a squirrel. And uh, the person, you could tell they were praying, please be chicken, please be chicken, you know. But we all find ourselves at those times whenever we're just, we just find ourselves praying. Uh it's, uh, you know, they're, they're never going to be able to ban prayer in school as long as teachers give tests. You, we're just, we're just, uh, we're just, con- we're just made to pray, aren't we? Sometimes, however, it's the last thing that you think that you can do because you know you got yourself into that mess and uh, you're either ashamed or embarrassed or scared and some people they can't go to the Lord because they're just too proud those are some of the reasons why but you see none of these should keep you from reaching out to the Lord if pride has kept you from him you need to know that it's also what's been keeping him from helping you it puts a barrier between you and him Jesus said, as he began the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, is what he's saying there. For theirs is the kingdom of God. We have to come before God in humility. The Apostle Peter tells us in his epistle, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. The story of the prodigal son 
tells us what we need to do if we're prideful and what the Lord invites you to do with it. Lay it aside and come home. Your heavenly father has been waiting for you. Fear, embarrassment, shame. The cross of Jesus Christ stands as a statement that the Lord has already dealt with anything that you feel God is holding against you. Isaiah later on in his, uh, in his book will make this statement about what happened at the crucifixion. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And this is the line that is so dear to me. The chastening for our well-being, the punishment for what we have done, what was due us, fell on him. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This this just lets us know that anything that you have felt that the Lord might be holding against you, the Lord knew you were going to do it, and he's already taken the punishment for it so that you are set free if you'll just come to him and receive the forgiveness that he offers. I can attest to that. He told me uh, when he came to me, And he let me know the price that he'd paid for me. That everything that I had done that I was ashamed of, everything that I had done that I knew was an offense to him, uh, I had a hard time accepting that he paid the price for it all. And as he was just letting me know how much he loved me and that he forgave me, I kept going, but what about... And he'd say, it's taken care of, Joel. But what about, I knew you were going to do it. I took care of it. It's done. But what about, there was not a thing I could raise that I knew in my past that he hadn't paid the price for and forgiven me for. And so I stood not having to earn anything in his presence He took care of it, and he made it clear that he's done it for each one of you as well. Isaiah knew what to do, and he went to the Lord. And the Lord says, you draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. That's a promise. Just the sight of the Lord was enough to take care of all of Isaiah's original concerns he just saw the Lord and all of a sudden he wasn't worried about that other stuff anymore because all of a sudden it was clear to him God was still in control he'd go to the Lord I guess to inform the Lord about how bad things were here in Israel he found out the Lord already knew The Lord had things in hand. In that moment, though, I thought this was interesting. I'd never noticed this before. 
Isaiah went to the temple because he was overwhelmed. The thing he was overwhelmed about, he discovered the Lord had under control. But all of a sudden, in that moment, he was overwhelmed again. He was overwhelmed and then he was overwhelmed. Have you ever noticed that? But all of a sudden, because his whole worldview has flipped around, he's overwhelmed by something completely different. The Lord's majesty and holiness seem to say, along with a whole lot of other things, I don't need any direction. I don't need any correction. But Isaiah, you need plenty. Just his presence can speak like that to us. God's presence revealed to Isaiah that he was a part of the problem. The very problem that he thought he ought to be talking to the Lord about, he was a part of it. And so what does he say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I say I worship God. I give lip service to God. And I haven't even known who God really is. We have all totally messed up. And all of a sudden, Isaiah finds himself standing with all those sinners that he came there to condemn before the Lord. And he realized in the Lord's presence, he was condemned as well. Woe is me. David Emery tells the story of baptizing a young father who had a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And they were close friends of his family and had never really been a part of a church. But one Sunday they came to worship. He gave his life to Christ and was baptized. At the end of the service, after everyone else had left, David walked back into the sanctuary to turn off the lights and lock the doors. And he found this man sitting on the front row with his head in his hands. He sat down next to him only to see that this young father's eyes were red and swollen with tears. What's wrong, he asked. He answered, I just feel this profound sense of the mistakes I have made in my life. I've done some things that I really am ashamed of, and I just need to ask God for forgiveness when I was a student in college, I played football. I was pretty popular, and I used my situation to take advantage of lots and lots of women. And I hurt them again and again and again. Now that I have two little girls, I just pray that they don't meet someone like me. I now realize the young women I hurt, and the selfish decisions that I had for myself, they were somebody's little girl, 
and I am ashamed. For this young man, the only appropriate words were, Woe is me. Some of you have been there when you realize the holiness of God and the life to which we've been called and how far short that we fall from the glory of God and His holiness. And yet there's good news in the midst of all this because you see, it's that dark, burden-filled, guilt-laden and shameful place where God can bring His work and begin to work in your life. Because it's in this place where you begin to reach out to God with your whole being, not just part of it, not just surfacy, but from the depth of your being. It's in this place where God can reach down into your life and touch you with his grace and forgiveness as he did with Isaiah and offer a brand new start. That's who God is. God is not just holy and far removed. Our God is the God of second chances. If you are at the point of woe, hear this. God is ready to meet you right where you are. Isaiah went to the Lord to pray about the king and the people of Israel. And then in the Lord's presence, his prayer abruptly, as we said, changes and he says he sees clearly woe is me for i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell among a people of unclean lips he realizes that he is just as much a part of the problem that he was concerned about as the people that he was blaming do you remember what jesus said about trying to fix somebody else about the, the speck, try to get the speck out of your brother's eye. He says, first of all, remove the plank, remove the board, remove that two before from your own eye. And this is the next thing that we really need to learn from Isaiah, because sometimes in a well-meaning way, we can get this all wrong. This is what we need to learn from Isaiah. Let God help you identify the plank. Don't just decide what's wrong with you and try to fix it. You're never going to get it right because your perspective is all wrong. But he will help you to see what's really going on. Again, I can speak from experience. I know with me. There was a time in my life, and I've shared, but I'm not going to go through this very briefly now. When I, even though I was a pastor, I would find myself in bad moods. At times when I shouldn't be in bad moods, and I shouldn't be grumpy, and I shouldn't be snapping at people, I'd find myself there. And I had no idea what was going on. I was blaming the people around me for not cooperating with me. And the thing is, just like Isaiah, as I pointed one finger one way, there were three pointing back at me. It took the Lord to show me what was really, really wrong. 
And it began with him helping me to see that this was wrong, that other people weren't like that in these situations. And in my reading, I ran across this place where this uh, counselor author said that uh, when somebody finds themselves being moody and angry, uh, just out of uh, uh, context with what's going on, many times at the heart of it was a deep sorrow or sadness. And I didn't know what this was. And this was to my benefit. So what I did, I just prayed, Lord, is this what's going on with me? But see, he brought me to the place where I could search from an objective place and not a subjective place. And as I asked him to help show me if I had a deep sorrow or sadness, he began to show me this were different places in my past where this had come from. And I discovered that the bottom line was I needed to forgive my father for not being the father that I wished that he'd been. I need to forgive my mom for not being the mom that I wished that I'd had. I needed forget to forgive them. And you know, there are a lot of people that need to forgive their parents. They need, even though their parents have been trying to be the best parents that they knew. And my mom and dad, they tried to be the best parents they knew with the upbringing that they had had. They were trying and they loved me. But for some, but because of just the way things turned out, they hurt me and I needed to forgive them. And this is the need of a lot of people and the root of a lot of stuff that's going on in their lives. It's common in the book Field of Dreams. Do you remember what uh, is happening at the end of that movie? And I said book, I meant movie. At the end of that movie, you remember he's playing catch with his dad. And in his life, he had never been able to do that. All of a sudden, what he'd wished he'd had in his childhood was there and he had it. And I'm sure that a lot of men broke down when they saw that and they realized that there were so many of them that wished that they had had a different childhood than they had. But you know what? He gave us our childhood and it's for our good. But we need to be delivered from the past so we can live in the present and look forward to the future. And so this is what I had to do. I had to forgive my parents. And whatever I did, then I was set free and I was able to move on. So for me, it was obedience and forgiveness that set me free. In marriage counseling, in family counseling, when I have people come into my study and sit there, usually there's one that's angry and has had it with the other one about something. But you know what? That usually came about because of something that the angry person had done. And uh, I've discovered lots of times in marriage counseling, it's like a tennis match. Okay, now the ball's in your court. Now the ball's in your court. And we have to just kind of un- sort things out. And there's a lot of forgiveness that has to go on on both sides. A lot of trying to understand where people are coming on, coming from from on both sides so that these people can become a team. So they can become who the Lord put them together to be as a team. And so they can be 
the person that they were really created to be. And the thing is, now sometimes whenever you seek the Lord and he shows you what to do, the other person may not want to cooperate. And if you ever wind up in a situation like that, I love what Keith Miller discovered. He discovered that you can tunnel. You're not called to be taking specks out of other people's eyes. You're taught, called, first of all, to let the Lord help you get the specks out of your eyes or the planks out of yours. And as you get the planks out of your eyes, you're going to change. And there's a saying in counseling, changed people change people. As you change, you're going to start treating other people differently. As you treat them differently, they're going to have to react differently. Some of them are going to be delightfully surprised and others are going to get angry because this is how you're not supposed to be doing like this. I can't control you if you start acting differently and their stuff's going to start coming out. And so uh, there's this whole thing where we need to start with the speck, with the plank in our own eye. Admit that you're your part, even in those who have been divorced, admit your part and receive the Lord's forgiveness for your part and then forgive the ex for their part so that you can move on free from the past and not slapping stuff from somebody else on your current spouse. You know, there's just all this stuff that we've got to go through. But the Lord starts with the plank in our own eye if we're willing to let him work on it. So Isaiah went to the temple. He thought God needed to be uh, filled in on what was going on. And the Lord revealed to him what was really going on. And then he invited him to be a part of the solution. After he had taken care of Isaiah's part in all this, healed him, freed him from the sin from his past. Then, you remember what Jesus said about fixing people? He said, first get the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. After you get the plank out of your eye, that's not where you stop. Now you can start to make a difference in that world that you were so concerned about. He was converted from wanting things his way to wanting God's will, God's way, and God's timing in all of his life. So to sum all this up, what do we learn from Isaiah? First of all, turn to God. Have an open heart uh, toward God. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? They both went to the temple to pray. They were both there on their knees praying. And uh, the the tax collector just stood far off and beat his breast. The tax collector did and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee knelt there and said, Oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy over there. He's like this and he's like that. I do this and that. Anyway, he totally missed God. And the thing is, if the Pharisee had had an open heart 
toward God's word and toward him, he would have been beating his breast right along there with the tax collector. So the first of the thing, second thing, you know, turn to God, have a heart that's open to God. Let the Holy Spirit order your prayer time. So many times whenever things you're in a, in a bad spot, <coughs> it'll seem like there are 25 things just whirling around in your head that you need to pray about. Instead of just trying to grab the one that you think is the most important, in faith, let the Lord order your prayer. The first thing that pops into your heart and your head, pray about that. And then when you pray through on that one, take the next one that pops up and you'll discover that the Lord had a reason for the ordering of your prayers. By the time you get to the end, you're probably not even going to care about what you thought was the most important thing when you began. But let the Holy Spirit order your prayer time. Be receptive to what the Lord offers. When Isaiah, what Isaiah needed was first and foremost a new way of looking at the whole wide world in light of who God is and who he is. And he also needed forgiveness and cleansing. And he was receptive for those things from the Lord. And after you've done those, done those things, get ready for a great adventure in life. Because you see, life in the kingdom of God, when you're really attending to God's will, God's way, and God's timing, is going to be anything but dull. It's the most exciting life that anyone could ever live. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.